Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. And welcome to Rink Wrap the Podcast, Episode 11. I'm your host, Mick Collagio, and Rink Wrap the Podcast comes from the Standard Times in New Bedford, Mass., where I write, and you can visit us there at southcoasttoday.com. Read my uh, Rink Wrap blog at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash bruins. Uh, follow on Twitter at Mick Collagio, and you can hear the blog. You can find us at omnyomni.fm, also Google Play and iTunes. And today, I welcome my former co-host on the one time great New England Hockey Journal radio show, Matt Kalman. And you can follow Matt at Matt Kalman. Matt is often found at cbsboston.com and is, and uh, gets around elsewhere and has been the author of a book. What's the, what was it? 100, 100 or 101? 100 Things Bruins Fans Should Do or know before they die. Which is a series, correct? That's right. Right, right, right. Okay. And it's a really good reference uh, book because it gets you, if you're a young Bruins fan, you want to know more about the Bruins, you can learn a lot that way. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I think it was pretty funny that the original edition came out in 2010 and pretty much you could have written one book would have been one thing to do would be to see Bruins win the Stanley Cup and then that spring that summer they won the stanley cup and i got to do a rewrite and uh so then people were more interested in doing a hundred things after they got that one thing done that's right (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing what winning does exactly and so yeah it was pretty much an awesome time and it was you know you bring up the uh radio show we used to do pretty much we were the only ones talking hockey back then and that's why we had a radio show (laughs) exactly yeah, but you know, but but one of the great victories of that was is that we moved the needle a little bit. We actually got a number, right? And maybe coincidentally, maybe not. Uh, WEI actually tweaked their Saturday morning program, right? Which sure. which to me was tremendous, right? Because uh, you know, they, we all know what how radio is in the city of Boston, and even the flagship can be pretty bad. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind killing for it; they deserve yeah, it, right? Exactly. So so. Um, uh, and I did listen to the hockey show this morning, but it's a shame that you have to have specialized programming in order for there to right. be any attention given uh, by the three-sport media yeah. to this well, hockey get, team, which is having itself a hell of a season. Yeah, it gets a little better once the Patriots are done, though, I think. I think there's not so much a spring training focus away from the Celtics and Bruins as there used to be. It used to be mm-hmm. all Red Sox once the Patriots are done. I think the Bruins and Celtics have both played their way back mm-hmm. into that type of a thing. We are broadcasting today from Warrior Arena at Boston Landing following the Bruins morning skate in preparation for their Saturday night game, June 6th, uh, January 6th. I'm a little off there, six months, uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes, who are actually coming and playing well. Yeah. This is no gimme. Yeah, they're pretty much a surprise team. I actually, not to toot my horn, but, you know, I had a little bit of of a dark horse thought about them in the way they were kind of building their team. And uh, just the way that coach gets into play, I think he's the type of coach who gets a lot out of very little. And, you know, once you get a guy like Sebastian Ajo to start getting hot and then Eddie Taravainen, who I loved mm. uh, when he was in Chicago. So, you know, it looked like a pretty good team. They're just stuck in that, in that division, which is just a logjam. Are you also surprised at the particular players Chicago trimmed in order hmm. to achieve the cap compliance? I'm not sure what the choices would have been. Right. But I'm a little surprised that 
it was those guys. Yeah, I mean, I Tervinen, Panarin. Right. Yep. That kind of blew me away. Like Jumson, yeah. I could understand right. simply because even though they weren't backfilled very well. He's a high mileage player. He's the Dennis Seidenberg of the Blackhawks, <laughs> who's now the Dennis Seidenberg of the Arizona. Coyotes. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's the guy that you, you kind of knew that they had to get rid of, and whether or not they were smart to get rid of the younger guys. I mean, they did get sod for Panarin, so there was kind of an even thing. But they brought back Patrick Sharp too, right? It's like, let's get the it. band back exactly. together. The, I don't think it's working out. Right, and the Sharp thing, you know, kind of handcuffed them because he makes so much money. That they had to, to make these other moves, and uh, it's kind of that's just the, pay, the price you pay if you're not producing the type of prospects that we've seen the Bruins now produce that are you know leading the resurgence here. Maybe it was seeing Judge Surratt today, but that's got my brain <laughs> on the Blackhawks. But but I you know I'm I just I don't understand. They of all teams should understand in '15. They pretty much carried him. He didn't do anything for them in that run. <laughs> right. And his sharp didn't. Yeah, exactly. One time, one time, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> He's actually probably better now than he was then because it's sort of his career crossroads kind of a thing. Right. But uh, sometimes that revives a guy, but not for very long, usually is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they lose at home to the Vegas Golden Knights, right. who after getting their, what was it, eight-game win, win yep. streak, Broken in a tough two-one game right. at St. Louis. At a couple, that to me is that it took that to end the win streak <laughs> is what scares me more about that team than any of the right. times that run roughshod over teams that weren't playing well. There, there's a school of thought that the Vegas Golden Knights should be should be buyers at the deadline. I know. Add a, yeah. add a big That's name funny. or two, and God knows what they can do. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury's done it before. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible what's going on. And Subban won last night. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, give all credit to them for that. But there's also so much dysfunction in other front offices that they wound up with the players they wound up with. You know, teams trying to avoid losing certain guys. The Minnesota Wild trying to not lose Matt Dumba. Yeah. So they end up losing Halla and Tuck. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets just letting Carlson go. The, the yeah. Florida Panthers handing them Smith and Marshall. So it's, it's really crazy that these teams overthought this whole process. It's almost like a group Bruins 2005. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot of dysfunction. Yeah. And also, you know, they lucked out because the, the league should have brought two teams in at once. This one team thing just gave them so much more to choose from. It also might be the most punitive setup for an expansion draft ever. Plus, you add the fact that they're picking from 30 teams. Right, exactly. And, and everybody right. only has to lose one. Well, they all wound up losing a lot more because right. of the deals. And because they, they had the, the no-trade clauses that they couldn't expose those guys. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, so, I mean, it's for, in terms of the superlatives, if they weren't blowing the superlatives out of the water then I would be disdainful of any discussion <laughs> right. of relative to other expansion teams that come along. Like, yeah, the Florida Panthers, third year of existence, they're in the Stanley Cup. Right. Uh, the Islanders, third year of their existence, they beat the Rangers in the first round of playoffs and went to seven games with the eventual Stanley Cup repeater. Right. So, I mean, there's been great expansion teams before. Right. But uh, this is ridiculous. I haven't been able to trust it because I just see a lot of uh, young players who skate real fast and and win games. Right. And well, they have nothing. They have nothing to lose. Right. And they have something to prove. Right. They have the. It's they've got the best combination of it. It is. It is the best combination. (laughs) All the vibes are good. The vibes have been pretty good for the Bruins, who seem to thrive under the radar. It's unbelievable how much they thrive under the radar. But I think the radar is 
is starting to land on the radar, at least nationally, you know, in, in media. Everybody in, in outside nas- Boston, you mean? Yeah, outside of Boston, <laughs> at least. They're, they're definitely catching on yeah. to this. And, you know, people, hey, Bob Bugner said it the other day, the Florida Panthers coach, he said there's three, the three best teams in the league right now, Tampa Bay, Vegas, and the Boston Bruins. And uh-huh. you can't argue with that right now based on health and based on the way they've been playing. Well, after everybody got their feet wet and, and, and uh, got settled in to the season, the Bruins have been one of those teams. Right. Especially if you measure it, not just according to record, but according to how does a team play. Mm-hmm. Line to line, everything comes out, they're like a buzzsaw. Yeah. And when they're going, man, I, even if Pasternak never scores another goal, <laughs> and maybe right. I'm being hi- hyperbolic here, but but when Bergeron decides we're all going on the forecheck and we're just going to take this puck and do something with it, right. it's amazing how they can discombobulate sure. teams. Yeah, and they can, they can have, and they can have shifts like that because they don't have to – you know, they don't have to worry that they're going to be the defensive matchup anymore. You've got three lines that he trusts against, or four lines actually that he trusts against a top opponent. So Bergeron's not taking that burden. Uh, you see Zidane, you know, is not having to take so much of a burden with Charlie helping him out there now. And, you know, these guys have just gotten the right amount of experience and they have the right amount of confidence. There's another thing of guys who don't have maybe the Vegas situation where they have a lot to prove and there's not a lot of pressure because no one expected them to do much. And most of these rookies, no one really expected them to make such a big splash. No, in fact, uh, you know, they were really roundly criticized for their draft. Right. And DeBrusque has stuck. And Mm -hmm. and he's done it well. He's done it honestly. I thought first 20 games or so, he was a guy who was, maybe it wasn't that many games, but he would pop out of nowhere, fly through, catch everybody flat-footed and score a gorgeous goal, and then you wouldn't see him again in any of the little things that make the difference between winning and losing on a nightly basis. I feel like now he's sort of, you know, become more... A member of that rank and file. Exactly, and I think it's, a lot of that goes to Bruce and the coaching staff. I think they just know how to communicate better to these kids that maybe the prior coach was kind of lost touch a little bit in that realm as far as the, the younger guys and getting them to buy in. And you know, let's face it, Bruce punched punished these guys these guys when they play poorly, maybe more. So then Claude did. You see guys losing shifts. You see guys getting scratched a lot faster here than they did with Claude. I think you know. I mean, Bjork's in the minors. York's in the minors. Mm-hmm. Vetrano can't get in a game. Right. Um, Even Pasternak early in the year was missing third period shifts because of his defensive and play. And Tory Krug. And Tory uh, Krug gets people, benched. All people. The right. guy who tries harder than anybody in the world. <laughs> right. And and here's a guy who who actually uh, needed some corrective discipline. I don't know for a <laughs> right. lack of a better word. It's yeah. a terrible word to use in his case. Right. That was but, an old school bench to get a veteran player who doesn't not only gets sat out the rest of regulation, but he's yeah. one of their better offensive defense doesn't play three on three. That's yeah. like an old school benching. I'm probably overly defensive of Claude when it comes to these discussions. Yeah. Uh, I tend to look at these situations to say, hey, look, it's not the same group of young right. players. It's sure. not the same of this. It's not the same of that. Right. And we're very early here. <laughs> and I don't, and I, and I really muzzled myself because I don't want to sound at right. all to be negative no. right. toward Butch because I knew him when he was in Providence and, right. and loved talking mm-hmm. to him about the yeah. prospects back then when right. Krug was a prospect, when Bart Kowski was a prospect. Great discussions with him, and, right. and he's a terrific coach. And that what they've done right. to make this continue, credit to Don Sweeney. And, you know, it's funny, the the, uh, the Bacchus acquisition mm-hmm. was sold in regards to how, really how Riley Nash has made yeah. a big difference right. in this exactly. team, too. 
and you know what too, just to get back to the coaches, it's a lot easier to coach when you're butch and you're at the beginning of your tenure and you have the GM who brought you into the organization, promoted you, than it is to be the coach who we know maybe doesn't have a lot of fans in the front office and was basically coaching for his life the last two years. That's why he ran Tuka Raskin to the ground, and that maybe why is why he had a little less patience with younger players because he had to win. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think on the average his prospects weren't as ready. Right. I think let's face it, even when Krejci was healthy, going back a couple of years, that mm-hmm. right wing was like a revolving right. door. Weren't ready and weren't as good. Right, and weren't as <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so there's a scenario that's that's so different here, and you're talking about the most accomplished coach in Bruins history. Right. And I hate seeing the way he's gotten kicked in the ass right. on his way out the door but here. It, but it serves as right for going to. Montreal, don't you think? <laughs> that surprised me a little bit. It really did. I thought he was going to Florida. I really, I really kind of pegged for Florida. I couldn't believe they didn't do it. Right. Uh, so uh, that that he did go to Montreal makes the the next few weeks really interesting. Oh yeah. Is it all in your? I mean, I, I've been thinking to myself like I've never been one for for. Uh, oh, the Mont Canadians are in their heads. All this <laughs> until the next thing that happens. <laughs> Right. Because of throughout Bruins history, this has been the case. Yeah. Dryden was the next thing that happened. Right, right. Uh, Chelios was right. the next thing that happened. For most of my term being close to this, the Bruins have actually fared pretty well against Montreal. I mean, they won a couple of playoff series against them. They've played pretty good against them in the regular well, season. Well, that's true. them in 09. Exactly. So they're really 2-2 two two against right. them in your, exactly. in your lifetime so covering the like Bruins. So uh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, and obviously this whole thing about Tuca was – Got it blown up proportion. We know what the underlying numbers were as opposed to the one loss record. Yeah. And uh, now it could be in, really interesting just because Montreal's almost playing for pride at this point. It is. And, you know, for, for them, I mean, the Winter Classic, they started out that year 9-0. and Right. Then they were the worst team in the league until they went to Classic. Got back Gallagher. Uh, had a, the best game of their season. Right. The Bruins lost Marchand to suspension and Krejci to injury. Had the worst game of their season, <laughs> and, and and neither team fared well after right. that. But this is different. The Bruins are a team on the rise. Yeah, and um, I think the biggest difference between Bruins and Montreal, and this is one of your philosophies, Mick, is that. Bruins have still stuck to that strong down the middle philosophy. Absolutely. And the Canadians haven't had a number one center in how many years now? No. If, if, if Thomas Placanix is your most reliable right. guy and he's on the back nine of a career that on a contender right. would put him on the third line, then you're in big, big trouble. Exactly. And how many times do you see tweets from Montreal beat writers saying, <laughs> right. Galchenyuk, back to left wing. Right. Galchenyuk may Druin, play center. Druin, now and they back don't know. Yeah. This is, this is going to be an ongoing thing <laughs> until they get this personnel straightened out. And I don't know anymore if Bergevin is the guy that, yeah. that will be trusted to do it. Um, that situation seems extremely, extremely shaky. And you don't hear, I mean, I don't follow too closely, but you don't hear about, oh, the Canadians have this stud center who's going to come up and fill that role or even a stud forward or anything. They, the, the best prospect that they've had, I think, is the one they traded to get Drew and Sergachev, and now they're paying the price for that. Yeah, and he's been terrific with Tampa Bay. He only plays 15 and change, right. but but he's been awesome in his role exactly. coming up on, and granted, the most luxurious situation possible <laughs> right. for him, but... Anytime they give him anything to do, he looks like right. he could do it in Hedman's role. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, exactly. we, we find out that out down the road, but this kid is a player. And we don't know if the Montreal's gamble will ever pay off. Right. Uh, so that's things are just very, very shaky there. Uh, you listen to the Rink Wrap, the podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. My guest is Matt Kalman. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt Kalman, and read him at cbsboston.com and at other various platforms, uh, including nhl.com. Uh, Matt's been on the Bruins beat since what season? 
uh, right after the first lockout, the full season lockout. Oh, so you, you're the a first, new NHL guy. The first thing I ever <laughs> covered was the golf tournament down in Plymouth, and we were on the back patio. It was scorching hot. It was like 90 degrees. And Jeremy Jacobs touched the Stanley Cup right in front of me. I said, you can't touch the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Jeremy Jacobs. He says, I, he says, why not? I want to. He touched the Stanley Cup, and he declared that the Bruins are cup contenders because even though they didn't get Peter Forsberg, they got Alexei Zhamnov. And that was just as good. Ah, Shamnoff. <laughs> Shamnoff, yeah. And I stood there and I, and I said, oh, my God, is this guy out of his mind? I've never, you know, I'd only know what I've read about the guy. I didn't know yeah. what, what he was like. And I said, wow, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, that, that was another one of those acquisitions that was made a few years uh, too late. <laughs> well, they had, obviously, they got so desperate at that time. I wish I had covered that team before the lockout that Brian Ralston, you know, Joe Thornton, mm-hmm. Patrice Bergeron, rookie year team, but you know, mm-hmm. that, that Samsonoff. That team kind of you, you can maybe draw comparisons from that team to Hey, this if, team. if if Gonchar and Nylander don't get hurt. Right. The Bruins are second in the conference that year, I think. Right. And the year before, two years before that, they were second in the league. But right. I don't think if that full well, four if, team was healthy, I think they're better. Well, if Joe had gotten and stayed healthy, well, he, yeah, he, 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 he lost Rick Cardillage. He plays all seven, and he goes right. pointless, and he got uh, yeah. basically tarred and feathered right. for it. And so, now he's got his beard missing. Oh my God! What's your thought? What's your? What was your first thought when you saw that? Other than the grotesqueness <laughs> of a hunk thought, of Joe Thornton's beard. My first thought was good. You know, it serves him right. What the heck's he doing with that beard? Oh my God! I think it's just like the Ricky Williams thing of football. If you, if mm-hmm. you let it hang in there, somebody has the right to grab it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there you go. It's, <laughs> there's your de- defense of uh, right. Nazim Kadri. Right. So this is my introduction to covering the Bruins. First, I cover that golf tournament. And Jeremy Jacobs declares we're going to win the cup. It's let's say Jean off and Brian yeah. Leach on the last nine there. And then, like, what, a month later, we trade, they trade Joe Thornton. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I sign up for? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Unbelievable. Yeah, and then next year, you got Dave Lewis. <laughs> and then the next year, you have a Dave Lewis here. Exactly. Who wanted to spread out Bergeron, Boys, and Sturm to, like, 80 feet apart <laughs> on the ice. And they wound up, Bergeron had a higher minus than the rest of his career total combined. The five-man four-check. Yeah. Yeah, oh that was. Uh, but the best, well, the best line of Dave Lewis, and that's ever. why we had a radio show. The best thing about Dave Lewis, though, was at the end of that year, the season's over. We're doing exit interviews, and he's, his declaration was, "How how is it going to be better next year?" Well, I didn't know I had to coach these guys. I'm going to coach them next year. <laughs> Because he came from Detroit where, you know, Fedorov and those guys, they got on the ice and played. Who did he think he was coaching? <laughs> oh, no, who knows? That's why they said that the Kazakhstan the coach. Well, I remember Dupes in the, um, when he was on the Bruins beat before he wasn't, and now right. he is again in the twilight of his career. Uh, he, he was like, he made note in print to the time that Dave Lewis was like waving Paul Mara to move <laughs> right, the puck forward, right. move it forward. Somebody was trapping up on the Bruins. And the other highlight of that season, of course, was the Bruins in, in Raleigh playing basketball. And we got to find out that Zeno Chara is terrible at basketball. Who knew? <laughs> I am better on my 10-speed. Exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so uh, I, I was just looking at, at the situation and the 2011-12 Los Angeles Kings and how they won the Cup with a – what is considered by most to be a pretty young defense. Right. Now, Doughty, though, was at in the same age and career stage as Bobby Orr when he went flying through the air. At okay. the end of his fourth NHL season, mm-hmm. age 22. Okay. Uh, Martinez was 24, mm-hmm. so he's sort of you're in between your Grizzlick and your crew. How old right. is Grizz? Yeah, like around there. Around there. Exactly. So he's sort of Grizz then. Right. Okay. Uh, assuming that things work out for Grizz, right. and boy, Lizzie looked great this year. Um, 
Uh, and then, and Willie Mitchell with 34, then probably about like Z at 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had um, uh, Braden McNabb, and, you know. So you had a couple guys in Scuderi who's probably more filling the Miller McQuaid end mm-hmm. of things. So you have some of the right dynamics, but I, it's just it, it's unprecedented that you know could have a guy in a featured position like right. McAvoy <laughs> or like Brandon Carlo, right. and then say, okay. We're ready to do this, or to have such an unsettled second line <laughs> yep. that you know where you got Kretsch with a whose health is always week to week, <laughs> and and DeBrusque who's who's a rookie and it's going well, but they right now it's Spooner, yep. you know, and right, okay, you know, on a day to day basis when the team's Boosting winning, his value, it becomes day. a wart yeah. when they start losing games, right? Well, that's just it. You have to wonder. Not that the bottom will drop out, but there's going to be some nights that are going to be off, or there's going to be some mistakes, especially on the defense, like you're saying, with the younger guys. And it just hasn't happened so far. I think maybe the difference now between 2012, like you're saying, and 2018 that we're in now is that the game in only six years has changed so much. I think it's I think just so much such more an, speed. It's a, well, I think it's because we've got such an influx of young right. players so right think, now. We're going through the talent probably, and I, I wish I had the stats on this, I think that coming into this season, if you combine it with last season, there is more youth coming into the league. Mm-hmm. More players have played their first games and then played right. 40 right. plus yeah. than any time since the 05 06 season. 18 and 19 probably. and 20 years old. Right. Every team comes in here with like two teenagers on the roster. Right. And you know, it's funny. Maybe, maybe everybody gets scared because of the salary cap a couple mm-hmm. of years ago sure. when it flattened out. Exactly. Plateaued. Right. Now all of a sudden it's going to go up again. Yeah. So I think this group, it's, gonna, it's not going to be right. continuing like this. Right. This is going to yeah. be the group that we're going to see. And if somebody mm-hmm. else wants to make it, it's going to be tough for them. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe there's. I'm still kind of leery about whether it's a, you can survive with a Krug and a Grizzlick, but if they know how to play the right way at their size and their ability to just move the puck up as fast as you can, I think maybe uh, it, it kind of neutralizes that size yeah. disadvantage. I mean, if you're not defending down low all the time, like Grizz so far, they haven't been able to exploit that team. So he just he gets the puck and he moves it. Well, so. uh, some of it's protected matchups. Yeah, uh, so some so some of it is. But he's also really quick to get between a player and the puck. Right. And then the way the uh, – I think the enforcement standards are really important. And that, coincidentally, is also mm-hmm. – that last year and this year, right. these enforcement standards are the strictest they've been since the 0506 exactly. season. So, so it allows a guy like Grizzlick to be quick positionally and put another guy in position so that he can't just grab him with a free hand. Right. It's going to get noticed. He's going to go to the box. He has to go into recovery mode, get up the ice, and go in and either get the line change or trap or do something. Right. Exactly. You know. So, so this is definitely in the favor of guys like him because mm-hmm. he's still like five nine and a half on his best day exactly he is 175 right so but i love the way he's playing and be interesting to see if he can uh, bite off a little more because ultimately Mm -hmm. let's face it if you talk if you pulled 31 gms that say what's tory krug on a stanley cup contender that say uh fifth defenseman Uh third pairing guy five on five power play right Exactly. At the end of the day, that's still yeah, what it but is. Maybe you know, maybe some of these GMs are adjusting their their thinking too, though. So it's like you don't know. It's just it's just a different game. You don't have that. You don't have to have those big bulking. I mean, that's why Adam McQuaid can't get back in the lineup right now. He, he doesn't. Well, quite I think he will as soon as they, they right start now. losing. He'll get it. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's just a matter of what type of 
But by then, they may have made a move Butch, because Butch they're still his, heavy his, on the right and low on yeah, the, I mean, the light on Bruce the left. Bruce Cassidy has his way he wants to play and his players that he likes. And yeah. Not that he doesn't like Adam McQuaid, but just doesn't necessarily want to have an Adam McQuaid and a Kevin Miller in the uh, lineup. And, I think Miller's so much faster, though, that I don't think he looks faster. at him the same way. Right. I think I think he's more more of a you know even though he's playing that third pairing right now, I think I think he's he's uh, he, especially by the end of last year he was really. Uh, important player but uh this is rink wrap the podcast we're talking with matt kalman and uh you used to have your own blog called the bruins blog yeah did you like retire that um i still own it you still yes, own it it's, okay. it's pretty much in uh in mothballs for a bit here uh-huh just because uh you guys didn't pay me you know the, the, meaning, meaning the people listening you didn't now is you <laughs> <laughs> no he, did, he wasn't able to monetize the internet. Exactly. The newspapers are thinking, really? Why not? <laughs> exactly. And, We're you know, trying. It, it gets pretty tough, too, when you know, you're, you're plugging away like that. And some people can just, you know, it's very easy to, for people to steal your ideas, steal your content, pass it off. That's true. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges. That's true. That. There are websites out there that exist for the sole purpose of being somebody that you can turn to right. for as a portal right. to read everything that everybody yeah. else wrote. Right, aggregating.com there. Yeah, so. right, right. It's that that very, kind of thing. It's a very tricky, tricky yeah. business on that front. Yeah, and um, uh, what, what uh, do you have like any suspicions about this season, things that, you know, that, that are kind of on your radar that are going to emerge for the Bruins or outside? Yeah. I just think this trade deadline is going to be interesting because I mean I'm always I'm always more proactive as far as whether you should sell or buy rather than stand pat the way Don Sweeney typically does at the deadline you know unless you count Drew Stafford as some sort of game changer or at least Stampniak scored one big goal didn't he exactly <laughs> but uh, I mean again you know you look at Toronto where they where they added Patrick Marlowe as a sign that they know their window is so small these days the Bruins have a similar sized window for the Bergeron Krejci part of this, you want to make the big team as good as it can be for those guys while they're still in their quasi right. primes. Yeah, you might need to look at being a, a buyer and adding that top four D that does what you're saying as far as knocking Tory Crew to the third pair, or yeah. maybe even knocks Brandon Carlo out of the lineup. Or you gotta wonder because and, you say if you really think you can win, right. look at the sides of the Stanley Cup and tell me find me one defense that right. has as little experience and age right. as Carlo and McAvoy. So, you know, you're, you're committing so supposedly to the future, and you have all these other prospects coming up, these, Carl, you know, Forsbacher Carlson, Lingren, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, again, every year, Bergeron, Chara, Marshan, Krejci, that like, part One gets more older. year of mileage, one more year And age. don't you want to win with while they're still here? So it, well, it gets to be yeah. a challenge. And, you know, I think the other, the other thing I was thinking today, you're talking about Bacchus and Riley Nash. I mean, as much as I, I love Riley Nash as a – player mm. and you'd like him to be more willing to use his offensive skill because he does have, have some respectable hands do you need to upgrade the third line center position that should have been spooner it's not going to be obviously even bruce has obviously decided that's not the thing mm-hmm. do you need to find that nick benino type third center or do you really think riley nash can be that that guy i think with bacchus on that line right. Then that conversation can go to the back burner. Yeah, I mean, if Backus was forced to come back up in the top six mm-hmm, because right. of injuries or lack of performance or the inability to find a suitable permanent wing for Kretsch, 
then um, then you have that question right. all of a sudden is laid to bear. Now you get back to being two fourth lines. Right, exactly. Uh, at the beginning of the season, they were one uh, top line and a bottom nine. Right, exactly. <laughs> and for part of this season when they were injured. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, so there's still some ads there, and it'll be interesting just to see what Don Sweeney really thinks of this team. I mean, he can, come, you know, they love to stand there, sit there at the podium, and tell you how they're always challenging for the Stanley Cup. Yeah. But Stanley Cup contenders are buyers. Yeah. At the deadline, and they we'll finish. See. They finish. They do finish. They bring in the finished carpet. Right. Is it the 2018 plan, or is it still a 2019, 2020 plan? Yeah. So I, I don't think they're there, and I think that they should make sure that they're 100 mm-hmm. percent sure about any set future sacrifices right. that they make. Right. That they can live without, and that they're not making a bad give back. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I don't think they're at a point yet where they should be making any mm. risks, but is the cupboard on the does the cupboard of prospects fall enough that maybe you tr- can trade some draft picks to add somebody? I mean, uh, I, just, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's, uh, so many guys coming around. It's, I just they, don't know if the guys are out there too that would would give them. I mean, right. Well, that's just it. Will teams finally become sellers? Because these sellers are just like so few and far between. Even mm. you know, but you look at teams dropping off, like someone like Ottawa. Will they actually be proactive? Would you get in on a Mike Hoffman type? See, that's a good question. So, there's, a, there's very few and far between. And when you finally do identify somebody that you'd say, well, there's an upgrade. Uh, there's some scoring production that could add to help our team. Everybody is right. now come making that phone call. Right. So, so the sellers seem to hold the cards. Right. If, they're, if, they, have, if they really have something to sell. Right, exactly. So I, I think just what I was saying, though, is just, it goes back to the one year where they kept Louie. Traded for Stempniak and Lyles, and Don Sweeney's line was, I owed it to this team to compete, right? Mm. I totally disagreed with that then. It's not second-guessing that they didn't make the playoffs. I said they should have traded Louie and not given up picks for those guys. But now, the way this team's played, does he owe it to this team to put them in the best position? Because this team actually has a legitimate chance when you look at the standings, Mm -hmm. when you look at the fact that they're going to be probably second or third in the Atlantic, which is better than winning the division, Mm because Tampa Bay could end up getting Pittsburgh, in the first round, could end up getting Columbus in the first round. That's true. This, really this is a chance about that. to win a couple rounds. Tampa Bay uh, has had such a nice season. Right. Uh, one of the points that Bob Beers made on the, the uh-huh. AT&T hockey show, did I just get free advertising <laughs> yes. for 98.5? Fire me now. Off with my head, as Mike Milbury once said. So, uh, <laughs> but he... Um, uh, Said that you know that the teams that that, that have really smooth regular seasons tend not to win the cup, right? And you get it unless you go back to historically great clubs, right? But if you, I mean, even if you go back as far as the '90s, those Red Wings teams before they finally broke through, remember? How That's they, right. The '95, '96 oh team probably had the greatest record <laughs> right. since the '77 right. Canadians, right. and and they wind up uh, not making it. Right. It's the year after that that right. they don't even finish first <laughs> and they win it. Exactly. So exactly. The Bru- it's a grind. The 2011 Bruins versus the 2014 Bruins. Who the 2014 Bruins came up today? Because if you look at the notes, mm. the the last team with a longer point streak was the 14 Bruins. They went 15 0 and one at one point. Yeah, where the hell would that come yeah, from? Yeah, I know it. That's true. It's and we a, know how that ended. Well, we do know how that ended with uh, with the injuries on defense. That like last year in the cusp of the playoffs, they had injuries on defense and. They were wound up in the playoffs way too young on D. Mm, well, yes, entry-level players in every pairing. Sure, I mean that's from the Johnny Boychuk. I thought they'd lose to. De- I thought they'd lose to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they lost one game. At they, least. They, that's right. They lost the first one. Yeah. 
anyway, uh, thank you very much, Matt, for uh, joining me here. Uh, you have been listening to Rink Wrap, the podcast on, you can find us on omny.fm, Google Play, iTunes, also at southcoasttoday.com. And we have Bruin stories online, uh, whether they're written by myself or by Mike Loftus, our Gatehouse uh, Bruins beat writer. Then sometimes we link Rink Wrap, the podcast. And thanks very much to Matt Kalman. Uh, who writes for cbsboston.com, author of uh, 100 Things to, to Know and, uh, and do, do and Know Before You Die of Boston Bruins for that series of books. And uh, Rene Rancor is here to sing, I presume to sing. I see the bow tie. I presume. <laughs> I presume. Well, you know what happens when you presume. We are, we are, we are over and out. Thanks very much, uh, Matt. And... Uh, uh, be back for more episodes of Rink Wrap, the podcast. Happy hockey, everyone.